Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. So glad you found us. We want to give a special welcome to you if this is your first time and say thanks for checking us out. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and say thanks for spending some time with us today. One thing we want to share, earlier this week I had a chance to spend some time with Samaria pastors that are connected through God's Field to visit and meet at the Fresh Start store for Love in the Name of Christ. And would invite you to pray for them and as they continue to lean into opening and bringing this uh, store online, they still are in need of some help in terms of somebody that can be an office manager looking for somebody for 20 hours a week. But so grateful that they now have a presence and, and I'm certain that it will leverage the good work that they're doing in the community. As we gather today, we also know that this is the weekend before Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so we want to take a moment and just pause and reflect on all that Dr. King brought to us. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I really feel that we have overly narrowed Dr. King's legacy and his vision and his message. I mean, it's great that we have a Dr. King holiday and we celebrate every year, it becomes a day of service. But we kind of freeze frame Dr. King in the I Have a Dream speech and often forget about the Dr. King that was leading a march supporting sanitation workers in Memphis before he was assassinated and that was organizing a poor people's campaign to try to lift up the crisis of poverty and a Dr. King that spoke out against the Vietnam War. And so I feel like there's this rich legacy of prophetic act activism that Dr. King represents, and a lot of people appeal to Dr. King, both on the left and the right, but we really need to re-examine his full message. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that he said and did, but really recognize who he was as an overall leader and as a prophet. And I love this idea and this image of a creatively maladjusted, non-conforming minority that is trying to affect change. And one of the things I think we can learn from not just the civil rights movement, but from many other movements, is that ultimately it is a committed minority that creates the change. I think we have this misreading of history to believe that everyone was involved in the civil rights movement, when in reality, it was a pretty small minority. It was national in scope. But if it wasn't for the sacrifices of that minority, the movement would have, would have happened. There was nothing inevitable about the walls of Jim Crow segregation come tumbling down. It was because of the sacrifice and commitment of people that ultimately helped spread the movement and convince people about the moral imperative for advancing civil rights that made the difference. Last week we started a new series called Return of the King, uh, because we know that Jesus said that he would be returning soon. And he said it three times during the final chapter of the book of Revelation. And if you missed week one, I would invite you to click here on the uh, sermon archives and uh, get a chance to rewatch it. I think you'll find it insightful and it'll be a good foundation as we continue to move through these next few weeks together. Last week, we learned a lot about the nation of Israel and its role that it plays in the second coming of Jesus. And we know that things are coming together uh, because of how uh, various things have happened even in uh, recent years. One of those signals was that in 1948, God brought the nation of Israel back together. And it was a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy found in Ezekiel chapter 37. 
And then another was that the nation of Israel would be born in a single day, which it was in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 66. And since that day, Israel has been a cup of staggering, if you will, uh, to all the nations around them. Uh, and that's a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2. And then in 1967, God gave Israel control of the Temple Mount. It was in fulfillment of a prophecy made in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 1. And their capital city, Jerusalem, was a fulfillment of Luke chapter 21, verse 24. Jerusalem, it said, would be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And on June 7, 1967, the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled. If retaking Jerusalem wasn't enough, then in 2018, the United States, followed by many other nations, recognized Jerusalem as the capital city of the Jewish homeland. And then we learned that in order for the temple to be cleansed, it requires the sacrifice of a red heifer. Israel had not seen a red heifer over the last 2,000 years, but on August 28, 2018, not one, but two red heifers were born. We know that Jesus could return at any time, although that's been the promise since he ascended into heaven. We still have a lot to learn, even in our conversations over the next few weeks, and it seems like maybe there's little time. It's interesting, after the, our first week, I got a message from Donnie Walter with post from Facebook by Tim Tebow. Uh, Tim, you know, is a, an amazing uh, athlete and uh, follower of Jesus, and he says this, the government might be preparing us for a cashless society, but it was predicted by the Bible, already designed. If put into place, this just means our time is getting closer. I'm not worried about what's going to happen, but just looking up and getting ready. While the devil's preparing people for the Antichrist, God is preparing people for the rapture. I don't know when the rapture will take place, but I do believe it could be soon. I also believe this is the time that God is giving us to repent. We need to get the gospel message out. Until the good Lord calls me away from the world to go home, I wanna make it clear that I believe in Jesus Christ as a true Lord and Savior. I am human, I am broken, and I fall a lot. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins and that he rose from the dead on the third day. He loves us all dearly, far more than we deserve, and forgives our sins when we repent. His word says, John 3:16, Whosoever believeth in me should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible also says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which art in heaven. If the Holy Spirit moves you and you are not ashamed, just copy and make this as your status update. Can I get an amen for being a believer in the Father? I'm going to post this on our Facebook page and would encourage, if you'd be so inclined, for you to copy and share it also. But it reflects just a larger understanding that we really, in this season, need to be offering the hope of the gospel to bringing about what it is that God wants his people to know and to remind people that Jesus came and died for them and that they, too, can have a relationship with him. Over the next four weeks, I want to walk you through the events of the final decade or so of planet Earth. And today I want to walk you through one more set of signs that tell us the end may be near. So if you're ready to jump in, let's pray. Lord Jesus, speak to me. Amen. A few verses before Luke chapter 21, verse 24, the disciples asked, And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus answered, he says, They will be killed by the sword and be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then he points us to the sky and said, Then there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. That's verse 25. 
In the Psalms, David says in Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. That's Psalms 19, 1 and 2. Psalm 19, then, is really saying that God is constantly communicating from the heavens. Look up on a, any cloudless night, and you get a sense that there is a marvelous maker behind all we see. God is communicating in the sky all the time, and sometimes his communication is more specific and direct than others. What Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 21 is, towards the time of my return, I'm going to be sending you signals using the sun and the moon and the stars as my communication device. Now, how might he do this? Well, he did it dramatically leading up to Jesus' first coming. God used the stars to forecast his birth. Remember how the wise men said they knew that the Messiah was coming because they saw his star in the east? A few years ago, we, we leaned into a study on this particular book, The Great Christ Comet, uh, by Colin Nichols. He's a biblical researcher. And in fact, there's a link here in the worship notes to a really powerful lecture he gave. In fact, he's given a number of them where he unpacks just the idea of what the star is all about. And the cool thing about astronomy is that, that we can learn because it's all based upon mathematics. And it just shows you the purposefulness in our world and how we can actually reverse engineer, if you will, uh, the conversation and can actually take, because the stars are consistent about their movement, and can go back and actually recreate what the stars look like in the heavens. In that season, the wise men came to find Jesus in the manger. If you remember the story of the wise men, here, here's what happened. In September of the year that we know is 3 BC, the planet Jupiter passed over top of a star named Regulus. It then passed back over Regulus two more times over the next few uh, months. This is what's called a crowning, a Jupiter crown Regulus in the constellation of Leo. This is kind of cool because if you can follow this for just a minute, Jupiter is called the king planet and Regulus is called the king star and Leo is called the king constellation. So sometime between late 3 BC and mid 2 BC, the king planet crowned the king star in the king constellation. So you've got a king and a king and a king. The wise men of Persia were astronomers. They weren't astrologers, they were astronomers. They studied the stars. They saw this happen and they knew exactly what it meant. Because you see, before television, people did a lot more watching of the stars and it was their nightly entertainment. So when the Eastern astronomers saw a crowning of the king by the king in the king, they gathered up gifts and they mounted their camels and they followed the star on its westward migration, which led them to Israel. As they followed the planet Jupiter, that's the king planet, remember, it comes so close to the planet Venus that the two look like they had merged in the night sky. If Jupiter is called the king planet, Venus is also called the mother planet. So this merger took place inside the constellation of Virgo. And guess what Virgo represents? Virgo is the virgin. This conjunction of the biggest star in the sky and the brightest star in the sky not only signals something was up between the mother and the king, but their combined light produced what appeared to be the brightest star in the sky during the wise men's lifetime. So can you see how the heavens can tell the story or a signal an events taking place? And, and we believe that this is what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 21 when he says, then there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. Listen, God announced the first coming of his son by forecasting in the stars 2,000 years ago, and he's announcing the second coming of his son by forecasting it in the stars today. Now, how is that happening? Well, in Matthew chapter 24, which is the parallel passage to Luke 21, 
Jesus gets much more detailed about these heavenly events. And we're going to walk through these in our time together today. Verse 29, it describes four events. So follow along here. Jesus says, The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not shed its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Here we have four cosmic events that foreshadow the end of days. One is the sun will be darkened. That happens during what we call a solar eclipse. The second is the moon will not shed its light. That happens during a lunar eclipse. A third is the stars will fall from the sky. That sounds like a meteor shower to me, or maybe a series of comets, perhaps. And then the fourth is the powers of heavens will be shaken, he says. The powers of the heavens are angels and demons. So this may be some sort of spiritual event that takes place. Now, we may not be able to understand everything that comes out in this verse, but let me tell you what we do know, and, and, and here's where you want to look at the notes. According to Jewish tradition, solar eclipses are signals about the Gentile nations, and lunar eclipses are signals about the Jewish nation. Jesus says that after the distress of all things, he's already talked about here in Matthew chapter 24. He talked about things like war and rumors of war, nations rising up against nation, the false prophets appearing on the scene, a rise in lawlessness, and the love of many growing cold. He says after these things have started to take place, you can expect to see a significant solar eclipse, maybe more than one. That's the first sign, signs in the skies. There will be solar eclipses, he says in verse 29. Now, let me remind you that I'm not a prophet, nor am I a son of prophet, but I do read my Bible and I do read the news. And I also want to point you back to this book because I think what Colin Nichols does is really unpack how we can prove uh, what the star over the Bethlehem was all about. And so, again, check out the link in the notes here. Worth your time. If you can remember back a few years ago, uh, on August uh, 21st, 2017, our nation spent an entire day tracking a solar eclipse, a total solar eclipse that crossed over the United States from one shore to the other. It moved from east to west. The last time there was a full continental eclipse, as they called over our nation, was on June 8, 1918. Now, you've heard what happened then, right? The Spanish flu happened. It hit our nation, causing a lot of sickness. The flu pandemic infected 20% of the world's population. It resulted in 675,000 American deaths and somewhere around 40 million deaths worldwide. Before the 1918 eclipse, there was another solar eclipse that spanned our na entire nation. That eclipse took place on November 30th, 1776. And you know what happened then? Well, 17,000 Americans died during the Revolutionary War and we were a much smaller nation then, so that's a huge number. So our first continental solar eclipse as a nation took place in 1776, the second in 1918, and the third was just three years ago. It's coming a little under uh, two years from now, on April 8th, 2024, which is the last day of the Jewish calendar, and exactly two weeks before the Jewish holy day of Passover, which is a time when Jews would be uh, selecting their lambs for sacrifice. If they had a temple to sacrifice them in. Now, what's interesting here is in 2017, the eclipse traveled west to east, but the 2024 eclipse will actually travel east to west. It's a crossing point with the 2017 eclipse will mark an X over the United States in a little village in southern Illinois called Makanda. It's interesting that Makanda's uh, nickname is the Star of Egypt. And we know that in the New Testament, it was the Star of Egypt that the heralded the first coming of the Messiah. Now, all this may be coincidence, but I also believe that uh, God may be trying to tell us something, and we ought to pay attention to it. You see, solar eclipses are signs about Gentiles, 
and the moon will not shed its light, it says. So towards the end of time, there will be solar eclipses and there will be lunar eclipses. If we take a look at uh, what the prophet Joel in the Old Testament says, I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Joel chapter 2, verses 30 and 31. What's interesting is that the moon looks like it turns red during a solar eclipse, and for that reason, a total lunar eclipse is called a blood moon. Now, let's pay a little more attention here. Four times over the last 500 years, there have been four blood moons that fell on four Jewish holidays over a two-year period of time. Four blood moons lining up like that is called a tetrad. The first tetrad happened in 1492 and 1493 under King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain. We tend to think of 1492 as the year Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Right? But lunar eclipses are signs for the Jewish nation, and for the Jews, 1492 has a whole different significance. Because you see, in 1492 was the year Ferdinand and Isabella kicked them out of Spain. From that time on, they had no place to call home. It was the beginning of the regathering of the Jews that eventually resulted in Israel being reborn as a nation in their own land. The second Tetrad happened in 1949 and 1950. Last week, we looked at uh, the fact that Israel held their National Independence Day in May of 1948. But it took them another nine months or so to get a government up and running. So this second Tetrad signaled the coming back together of the Jewish nation. And then the third Tetrad happened in 1967 and 68. At Israel's rebirth, she controlled only half of the city of Jerusalem. But during the Six-Day War of 1967, it regained East Jerusalem, and for the first time since 70 AD, Gentiles were no longer trampling the holy city. The Jews controlled it themselves. And then the, the most recent Tetrad took place in 2014 and 2015. Now, many believe that this Tetrad signaled the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple, which hasn't happened yet, but it is being seriously prepared for by several groups that live in Israel. Jesus' third sign from the sky is that that the stars will fall from the sky. And I might be reading this one wrong, but I believe what he's saying is there will be meteors or comets. I mean, that's what we understand about stars, right? And the truth is, meteors are impacting us every day. In 2013, a huge one exploded over Russia, and it set off a blast that was like 30 times more powerful than the Hiroshima bomb. Fourth sign from the sky is this, that the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, I have to be honest, I don't know what that one means, so it might be happening right now, it might be happening soon, or it might not happen for a long time. But Jesus continues here in the description of the end times in verse 30 by saying, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heavens in power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather the, his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. That's Matthew chapter 24, 30, and 30 through 31. So there's three more signs to come. And those are the Son of Man will come on the clouds of heaven, verse 30. There will be angelic trumpeting, and he will gather the elect, it says, from the four corners of the earth. The angels who accompany Jesus will be playing a shofar. It's like this. The shofar is a simple ram's horn, and it's not a brass trumpet. Unlike a brass trumpet, a shofar is made out of bone. You can see there's a hole here and it's just where it's cut off here off of the ram's head. Uh, this is why on Rosh Hashanah, which is also known as the Feast of Trumpets, a hundred shofars are blown in a relay fashion, starting with four trumpeters who are facing 
the four directions of the compass on the four corners of the temple. Their blasts will be relayed by blasts in the distance, basically passing forward the news that the new year is here uh, to the whole nation, or at Jesus' return, the whole world. It sounds something like this. Yeah, I need to practice that. I'm sure the angels do a much better job. <laughs> After giving these signs in Matthew 24, Jesus then gives us some application. He says here in verse 32, Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And he continues saying here in verse 36, Now concerning that day and an hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way of the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a hand mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then Jesus finally says in verse 45, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master has put in charge of his household, to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. It's Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 47. Now what's interesting is that Jesus' seven signs in the sky are also followed by seven warnings to us. And let's look at them quickly here. Warning number one is keep watching for the signs. Uh, warnings from the fig tree he talks about. Those who are looking will see the signs. And that's why we're doing this series, is to basically acquaint ourselves with those signs. The second warning Jesus gives is that Jesus will return within that generation. This generation will certainly not pass away until these things take place. We don't know how long a generation is. It might be 20 years or 40 years or even 80 years. And we don't know if the countdown began in 1948 or in 1967 or in 2018, but I believe the countdown may have begun. And then the third warning Jesus gives us is this, is that he will come on a day no one knows, verse 36. Now, what's interesting here is that most scholars believe that no one knows the day nor the hour in which Jesus will return because that's what he said here in verse 36. But it's interesting, our Messianic believers, those that you know, practice the Jewish traditions in a Christian context, have started to teach us that there is a holy day called the day no one knows. See, all the Jewish holidays are timed by the lunar calendar. Most holidays start a few days or weeks after the first of the month. But one holiday starts on the first day of the month. And since that first day of the month is determined by the new moon, the holiday can't be declared until the new moon is sighted. So in Jewish tradition, two witnesses are required to watch the last of the moon disappear on the last day of the year. And then these witnesses see what is called the horns of the moon. The last little slivers of the moon's light, they report to the chief priest that the new moon is upon us. And it's at that moment that he declares the holiday. Now, what's interesting is that no one knows when the holiday will start, 
until the chief priest declares it. So the Jews' nickname for Yom Terah, which means day of blowing, the day no one knows. So Yom Terah happens to be on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Okay, stay with me here. We're, it's, uh, we're at the fourth warning, and Jesus says, those who are not looking will not be ready. He says they'll be eating and drinking just like people did in the days of Noah, right up until it started raining. Those who aren't looking for the return of Christ most likely don't know Jesus. So our job is to help them get ready by telling them about the good news of Christ. I go back to Tim Tebow's sharing in his post earlier. And then we get to Jesus' fifth warning, which is to us, which he says we should be constantly watching for him. And that's verse 42. Now, the translation I'm using here says, be alert. Other translations of the scripture of the same thing says, keep watch, or which basically means keep watching all the time. Keep looking for the signs that he's near. And then while we're watching, he told us to be ready, verse 44. We need to be ready for his return at any moment now. How do you make sure you're ready for Jesus' return? Well, he tells us here in verses 46 and 47, Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So a servant who is ready is a servant who is doing his or her job. This means actively serving the Lord through prayer and service and sharing their faith. Even as I mentioned last week, and I've mentioned many times before, is that Martin Luther said that if he knew Christ was coming back tomorrow, he would plant a tree today. There's a certain kind of mindset that we have as we live in this tension between what we know and yet what we're expecting to be. And then finally, the seventh warning is a description of the reward that we will receive for those of us that are ready. Jesus says this, those doing their job when he returns will reap a great reward, verses 46 and 47. Jesus promises us that his servants will be put in charge of all the master's possessions. So this is a lot, and it, it may be some things that you need to scratch your head over and do some more research and be praying about how God would speak to you as you think about what it means to celebrate his second coming. But I also believe we need to say that God is up to something in this world, that he has been and continues to do that even in this season as we come out of a global pandemic, that he's building his community. And it's a community of people who are related to him because of the faith that they've placed in him. It's also because of how we love each other. And all that's so that he can bless us through each other and as we can turn around and bless the world. But you see, this community is almost complete, but it's not quite. And so in the days ahead, and even the things we've talked about, thinking back a couple weeks ago when we talked about sharing the gospel, how that we are in a new year and anticipating new things, but the promise of the hope that comes from Jesus taking on flesh and bearing our burdens and carrying our sins to Calvary and then dying and then resurrecting from the grave to give us life is what it's all about. So for us, our responsibility is to be faithful, to be lovers and sharers of this amazing uh, truth that he's given us and to also invest in the opportunities to make life happen in a fresh new way. And so even the idea of inviting your involvement with uh, pots and pans or, and thank you for your continued support of what we do here at Linden Road, that all this can fuel the ministry to impact the world uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what it means to be ready for when he comes. This is God's word for you today. And the question I have for you is, do you receive it? as we respond to these words of truth of his second coming. Would you pray these words with me out loud? 
We are looking for you, Lord Jesus. Our eyes are on the skies. Use me until you come. Use me to build your community, the church. Find me faithful to your cause today. In Jesus' name, amen.